Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another one of our weekly podcasts. My name is Richard. On behalf of Journey Community Church in Fontana, we thank you for tuning in. This week, we're going to be hearing from Pastor Chris as we take a look at finding Jesus in the Old Testament. Well, now with all that said and done, let's go ahead and dive into this week's message with Pastor Chris. Today is a bittersweet day in the sense that we are closing our series on Jesus in the Old Testament. I know we have heard from all of you that you've really, really, really have enjoyed this series. It's been about nine months. And if you remember, we've looked at Jesus from before Genesis 1, how he is the creator God and how Jesus in Genesis 3 would be the one who would crush the serpent's head, how Jesus in Genesis 12 would be the fulfillment of Abraham's covenant, how he would come through the line of Judah, how he would be the deliverer of his people, just like Israel was delivered from Pharaoh. Jesus would be that burning bush. He would be the one lifted up in the wilderness, and anybody who looked on him would be healed. Jesus was the fulfillment of the promise to David that there will be a king who will never cease to rule and reign on his throne. We've seen Jesus in every single capacity. Daniel tells us the exact day when Messiah the Prince was to come into Jerusalem. It would be 183,770 days from March 4th, 444 BC, which leaves us at Passover 30 AD. And what happens then? Zechariah 9.9 tells us the king comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, endowed with salvation and bringing about justice. Daniel would then tell us Messiah would go in and Messiah would be terminated. The Hebrew word is they would legally execute him. Messiah was to be cut off. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Messiah the prince, the king of kings, lord of lords, went into Jerusalem for the Israelites to herald him as king and usher in the kingdom. And they said, we have no king but Caesar. Crucify him, crucify him. And Messiah the prince was cut off. What's next? What's next in the series of events? Where then do we see Jesus in the Old Testament? And for that, we turn to Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14. Now, if you translate and when you're interpreting the Bible, you interpret it from a figurative perspective, then Zechariah 14 has already taken place in the invasion in 70 AD when the Romans wiped out Jerusalem. However, you have to really stretch it. Even the great teachers like Martin Luther, who believed that this, was, this had resulted in 70 AD, said he couldn't even make sense of it. And I believe because when you take it from a literal interpretation, these events have not yet taken place. They are still yet future. We call it the um, ecclesiastical events or the day or the last times. It's not Ecclesiastes, that's the church. 
It's, um, what is it, Brian? Eschatology, goodness. I was like, I know that was wrong. And so Zechariah 14 then becomes eschatological. So Jesus, he's cut off. He goes and he ascends into heaven. Then what's next? Zechariah chapter 14, along with so many other verses, tells us what's next. So let's open it up. Zechariah chapter 14. And we're going to look at the coming day of the Lord. Zechariah chapter 14 and starting at verse 1. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle and the city will be captured, the houses plundered, the women ravished, and half the city exiled, but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. So Zechariah starts off chapter 14, and he starts off with the Hebrew expression. In English, it's translated, behold. In Hebrew, it's saying, wake up, pay attention. This is uber important. He says, behold, and then he gives us this phrase, the coming day of the Lord. And we see this phrase 87 times in the Bible, the day of the Lord, or another synonymous translation, the day of God. 87 times this day of the Lord is referenced. Now, when we as humans, we speak of days, we often think of a 24-hour period. Today's Sunday, tomorrow's Monday, and so on and so forth. When the Bible talks about the day of the Lord, it's not a singular day, but a string of events. So it looks at the day in the, in the aspect or the line of thinking is when we say something like back in my day or back in the good old day. You know, it, it's not a singular 24-hour period, but it is a season or an epic or an era of time. The day of the Lord is a season of time where certain events transpire and take place on earth. The two major events that take place is the judging of the wicked on the earth and the restoration of creation and God's promise to his remnant people. That's what happens during this season of the day of the Lord, during this era or this time. It's a time where the wicked are punished and the righteous inherit the earth. And so let's look at that. Behold, a day is coming from the, or for the Lord. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see this day of the Lord, judgment on the wicked and restoration of the righteous. In Isaiah chapter 2, which Isaiah 2 is God's universal reign over the earth. Isaiah 2 and verse 10. Enter the rock and hide in dust from the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. The proud look of man will be abased and the loftiness of man will be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. For the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is proud and lofty and against everyone who is lifted up that he may be abased. Now flip to Zephaniah. I know that's a tough one to find. Zephaniah chapter one, 
and verse 14. Zephaniah 1 and verse 14. Near is the great day of the Lord. Near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord. In it, the warrior cries out bitterly. A day of wrath is that day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and the high corner towers. I will bring distress on men so that they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood will be poured out like the dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's wrath and all the earth will be devoured in his fire of his jealousy for he will make a complete end, indeed a terrifying one of all the inhabitants of the earth. Now flip to Zephaniah chapter three, as we just get from the Bible, what the day of the Lord is. Zephaniah chapter three and verse eight. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up as a witness. Indeed, my decision is to gather the nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out on them my indignation, all my burning anger, for my earth will, for the, all the earth will be devoured by the fire of my zeal. So here Zephaniah gives us a little bit more detail. He tells us that in this time, God is going to gather all the nations together. And what's the purpose of this gathering? Zephaniah 3 and verse 8 tells us. The Lord gathers the nations together for what reason? It's right there in verse 8. To pour out my indignation. So God is gathering the rebellious people, those who are antagonistic to God, those who are haters of the gospel. He gathers the nations together to go to war. And this is for his indignation. Now verses nine through 11, we see the restoration. This is what happens after Christ comes and defeats the enemies of the world. Verse nine, for then... I will give to the people's purified lips that all of them may call on the name of the Lord to serve him shoulder to shoulder. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, my dispersed ones will bring my offerings. In that day, you will feel no shame because all of your deeds by which you have rebelled against me for then I will remove from your midst your proud, exalting ones, and you will never again be haughty on my holy mountain. So God brings the nations. He comes with his fierce indignation and he wipes out the sinners. There will be no more sinners on his holy mountain. This is judgment. He is separating the wheat from the chaff, the goats from the lambs or the sheep. He, there's a separation and a judgment taking place. Now let's go to the New Testament and see the exact same teaching. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And for you who are just flipping through your Bibles, I commend you for finding them. First, or I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 
starting at verse six. Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica. They're under heavy persecution. And so he comforts them with these words. Second Thessalonians 1, 6. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Verse seven. And to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well, when is our relief? When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God, to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from, his pres- from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. What does Paul say? Keep on keeping on. Be encouraged no matter how hard life gets. Why? Because there's the great equalizer. The great equalizer. When Christ comes again, the wicked will be done away with, but the saints glorified. Now turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3 starting at verse three. Know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. So Peter is saying, when people come to you and say, hey, My grandfather said Jesus was coming back in his day and that never happened. Forget about it. When Peter says that, and you know what? I had some, my family members said, I don't believe because my, my granddad says Jesus is coming one day. He didn't come in his day and he's not coming in mine. I mean, like the Holy Spirit knew this person's heart and just wrote it on paper. So when people say that, verse five, they maintain this. It escapes their notice by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water by water through which the world at that time was destroyed by being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is likened to a thousand years and a thousand years likened to a day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. 
since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming day of God? Notice how Peter, he interchanges the day of the Lord and the day of God, the same, the same thing. He interchanges terms, looking for the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt away with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So God is gonna gather up the nations. Christ is going to come. There's going to be the final great war. And then there's going to be the ushering in of Christ's realized kingdom on earth. Now turn to Revelation 19. And John now paints that exact picture. Revelation chapter 19, starting at verse 11. Revelation 19, 11. And I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one except which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, following him on white horses. So here we have the heavenly host and, and the saints are with Christ. Verse 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So anybody uh, wants to have an apology for their tattoos on their body, Jesus is tatted. King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried out with a loud voice saying to all the birds which fly in mid heaven, come, assemble for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and all those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves and small and great. So here you have the picture of this gathering of the nations for war. You have the kings and the commanders and the mighty men gathered together for war. Verse 20. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword, which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Christ comes... There's this great war and he slays his enemies. Now look what happens immediately after chapter 20 and verse one. 
Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the keys of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Now look at verse four through six, because Christian, this is you. Then I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest Now, this is the ungodly, the unwicked, the Christ rejecting. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. So Christ comes and he institutes his millennial reign on the earth. You and I, we're already with God, with the Lord in heaven, absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord, but we're present with him in spirit. Christ comes, here's the first resurrection, and we are given our glorified bodies. We will be like him, and we will rule and reign and be priests before God forever. Think about that. If you don't know your Bible, get to know in your Bible. You are going to be a priest before God. That's your duty, your job. You are going to be before the Almighty, and you are going to serve him and intercede on behalf of him to others. It's gonna be this incredible responsibility. But you and I, we're gonna be given our glorified bodies at this time. And for a thousand years, we are ruling and we are reigning physically on earth with Jesus. Satan is released after that thousand years and he goes to deceive the nations again. At that time, God casts him into the lake of fire. Then the second resurrection, this is verse 11, and we'll read it now. The second resurrection from the dead, the great white throne judgment. If you find yourself there, not even God himself can help you. It's too late. It is appointed man once to live or once to die, then comes the judgment. You find yourself before the great white throne, even God himself will not save you. Verse 11, Revelation 20. Then I saw the great white throne and him who sat upon it and from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small standing before the throne and the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and Hades, the grave gave up the the dead which were in them and they were judged every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Then 
chapter 21. We'll read the first four verses. Then I saw a new heaven, just like Peter, and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. For I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out from heaven, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. It's this incredible time of the day of the Lord. Now, Zechariah in 14, he focuses in now. He kind of zooms the lens in and we get extra details as to what is going on. So we're going to see the king's domination. We're going to see the king's uh, dominion. And then we're going to see the kingdom's disposition. So Zechariah, we'll start back at verse one again. Zechariah 14 and verse one. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. So Bible students, who do you think the you is referring to in verse one in its context? No, it wouldn't be us. So look at them, verse two. I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem and the city will cap be captured and the houses plundered. So who is the one that's getting violated in verse one? Jerusalem. And the you is a feminine it's a, a, a feminine uh, sex. And Jerusalem, I don't know if you know, but it's always in the feminine. It's always uh, looked, Israel has always looked at the bride or the apple of Jehovah's eye. Jerusalem is always looked at as, as this beautiful woman of, of the Lord. It's a feminine. And this woman, Jerusalem, is being mauled. She's being taken of in every way. And look at verse one. It indicates that these nations that have gathered around Israel gather around Jerusalem and actually win for a time. Because you don't divide winnings if you don't win. And so here the nations have come, they've attacked Jerusalem, and it appears they have now taken spoils from them for themselves. Verse 2, I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured, the houses plundered, the women ravished, and half of the city exiled. But the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. And then verse 3, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. So let's look at this great gathering of war. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 38. Ezekiel chapter 38 verses 1 through 5 give a list, an array of different countries and nations that are now gathering together to attack Israel, Ezekiel chapter 38. These nations have gathered together. Verse nine tells us they have devised an evil plan in their mind. They want to go take Israel. That's their plan. The nations are gathered together. Ezekiel 38 and verse 17. 
Ezekiel 38, 17. Thus says the Lord God, are you the one of whom I spoke in former days through my servants, the prophets of Israel, who prophesied in those days for many years that I would bring you against them? It will come about on that day when God comes against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God, that my fury will mount up in my anger. In my zeal and in the blazing wrath, I declare that on that day, there will surely be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea, the birds of heaven, the beasts of the field, all creeping things that creep on the earth and all the men who are on the face of the earth will shake at my presence. The mountains also will be thrown down. The steep pathways will collapse. Every wall will fall to the ground. I will call for a sword against him on all my mountain, declares the Lord. Interesting info right here. Every man's sword will be against his brother. With pestilence, the word is plagues, and with blood, I will enter into judgment with him, and I will reign on him and on his troops and on the many peoples who are with him, a torrential rain with hailstones, fire, and brimstone. Verse 23, I will magnify myself sanctify myself and make myself known in the sight of many nations and they will know that I am the Lord. God brings them together and they're about to lay an assault and God just brings the smackdown. We see there's this great earthquake. We see that the mountains are rocked. We see that just like in Sodom and Gomorrah, there seems to be meteors or fire, hell, or fire and brimstone coming down from the earth. And this just shell shocks. I remember when, um, uh, when we uh, attacked Iraq and the whole operation was called the shock and all. You know, we're going to go in there, we're going to just blast them. They're going to be so dazed and out of it, and then we move in. And that's exactly what the Lord does. He shocks them with this earthquake. He shocks them with, with all these, these pestilence and plagues and, and hail and brimstone. And they're so dazed and confused, they turn the swords and they start to attack and fight each other. There's this manic state that happens and they just turn on one another. Fascinating. It goes on. Check Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16, verses 12 through 16. And we get now even more insight as to what is going down. Revelation 16, let's start at verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river, the, the Euphrates, and its water was dried up. Now verse 12 tells us why God did that. What's the reason for the Lord drying up the Euphrates? Say it. What was that? Listen to this, verse 12. So that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. God dries up the Euphrates so that military armies can now go across and now attack Israel. It's fascinating. The word east there is not the normal Greek word. It's a very specific word, and it means the land of the rising sun which Japan is known as the land of the rising sun, but it could be any of the Orients. 
And maybe it's not that far east. Maybe it's Iran or India. I don't know. But it's east of the Euphrates. Nations will come from the Orients and they will be coming for war. Revelation verse 13, or 16, 13. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are spirit, the spirit, for they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God, the Almighty. Verse 15, behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. Verse 16, and they gathered them together to the place which is in Hebrew called Harmageddon. In Greek, it's called Armageddon. It's also called the, the Valley of Kidron. It's also called the Valley of Jehoshaphat. It's there in Israel, and that is where this great war ultimately climaxes. So then we go to Joel chapter 3. And I know it's a lot of Bible, but I'd rather the Bible tell the story. Joel chapter 3 starting at verse 1. Joel 3, verse 1. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Then I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my inheritance, Israel, whom they scattered among the nations, and they have divided up my land. They have also cast lots for my people, traded a boy for a harlot, and sold a girl for wine that they drank. So going back to Zechariah, we see this great war. Then verse three, the Lord comes and he fights on the day of battle. And then Zechariah 14, four, in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley so that half the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. And you will flee by my valley of the mountains for the valley of the mountains will reach to Ezel. Yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord, my God, will come and all the holy ones with him. When Jesus comes with his holy ones, where does he first touch down? The Mount of Olives. Flip now to uh, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter one and verse nine. Now Jesus has already risen from the dead. Jesus is with his disciples, verse nine. And after he, Jesus, had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. 
Now look at what does verse 12 say? Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet. Jesus ascended into heaven from the Mount of Olives. He goes from the Mount of Olives to heaven. Jesus comes from heaven and where's his very first stop, Zechariah says, the Mount of Olives. He will go in the exact same way or he'll come back in the same way as he left. Same location and everything. And he's coming with his cloud of witnesses, his holy ones. Now let's go back, Zechariah chapter 14, verse six through eight. There's this massive earthquake. There's fire and brimstone. There's pestilence and plague. This is this great war. And because of that, verse six, in that day, there will be no light. The luminaries, the stars, the constellations will dwindle for it will be a unique day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but it will come about that evening time, there will be light. And in that day, living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half toward the Eastern sea and the other half toward the Western sea. It will be summer as well as winter. Now flip to Isaiah chapter 13 because Isaiah tells us even more detail to this time. Isaiah chapter 13 and verse nine. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger to make the land a desolation and he will exterminate its sinners from it. That's the judgment from the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises and the moon will not shed its light. Thus, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud and the abase of the haughtiness of the ruthless. I will make the mortal man scarcer than pure gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken from its place and the fury of the Lord of hosts in the day of his burning anger. We see again this massive earthquake and then the sky goes black. Get the picture for one second. You have the nations and all their military might ultimately defeating Israel. And then things go crazy. There's darkness, there's earthquakes, and what breaks the darkness? The Son of God and his army coming down from heaven, shining bright glory like the sun. He's the one that breaks this just darkness that is cast over the world. And because of that, men are so fearful, they turn sword against sword and begin to kill one another. Flip now to Revelation chapter six. Your Bible fingers getting some good work this morning. Revelation chapter six and starting at verse 12. And I looked when he broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake. Have we seen this great earthquake? 
Yes, we have. And the sun became black and the sackcloth made of hair and the whole moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. And the sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free men hid themselves in caves and among rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? Incredible time, incredible time. Now let's go back to Zechariah and hop down to verses 12 through 15 because this gives us even more detail into this great war and ultimately the king's domination. Zechariah 14, 12. Now this will be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the peoples who have gone to war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they stand on their feet and their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths. And it will come about in that day that a great panic from the Lord will fall on them and they will seize one another's hand and the hand of the one be lifted up against the other. Judah will also fight at Jerusalem and the wealth of the surrounding nations will be gathered, gold and silver and garments in great abundance. So also like this plague will be the plague on horses, the mule, the camel, the donkey and all the cattle that will be in those camps. So we don't know exactly what this plague is. I've read some commentators say this is exactly what nuclear war looks like as the the tongue and the eyes melt within the the skull. Could be. I don't know that Jesus would need nuclear weaponry. He just just speaks and and it happens. But nonetheless, this great and massive destruction of the nations. So we move from the king's domination. Now let's look at verse 9 and 11 to the king's dominion. So Revelation 19, Jesus comes, and in Revelation 20, he establishes his kingdom fully. Do you remember that? And for a thousand years after we are given our new bodies, we rule and reign with Christ. So verse 9 through 11, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one and his name, the only one. All the people, all the land will be changed into a plain from Geba to Rimmon, south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem will rise and remain on its site from Benjamin's gate, as far as the place of the first gate to the corner and from the tower of Hananel to the king's wine presses. Zechariah literally takes the most northern, southern, eastern and western parts of Jerusalem and says that will be elevated. He takes the the whole city and the whole city is going to be elevated. And Christ will reign and rule over all the earth. It's fascinating because verse three, sorry, verse nine, it's the very first words in Hebrew are Yahweh Malek. 
Yahweh Melech, the Lord reigns. And this became a phrase in Israel. And they began to write songs and they began to write psalms over Yahweh Melech or the Lord reigning. And so Psalm 93, Psalm 97, and Psalm 99 are directly psalms written about the lordship of Messiah over all the earth. I won't read them all, but I'll just read a couple passages for you. Psalm chapter 93. Yahweh Melech, the Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord has clothed and girded himself with strength. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. Your throne is established from old. You are from everlasting. Psalm 97, Yahweh Melech, the Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many islands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries around him. His lightning lit up the world. The earth saw and trembled. The mountains melted like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare his righteousness and all the peoples have seen his glory. Now, Psalm 99. Yahweh Melech. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He is enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth shake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted above all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The strength of the king loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. Holy is he. The king's domination, the king's dominion. Now let's look at 16 through 21. Let's look at the kingdom's disposition. What will the character of the kingdom be like? Verse 16, then it will come about that any who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and celebrate the feast of booths. Psalm 2 says the world, the nations are going to go up to Zion and pay homage to the sun. They're going to go and they're going to worship Jesus. Who are these people? These are all the people who did not rebel against God. These are all the people who believed in the testimony. When they saw Christ come, they believed in who he was. They were not a part of those who were rebelling and attacking. So they were spared. The kingdom is established. You and I are ruling and reigning. Who are we ruling and reigning over? These people. And Jesus institutes this incredible time, this feast of booths. Now, remember from our study of Exodus, what is that all about? The feast of booths or tabernacles.
here. It was celebrating God's provision for them in the wilderness. Remember the Jews, they'll go and they'll build the tent and the whole family lives in the tent. And it was to remember God's provision for them in the wilderness. But it has even more greater significance because when we're going through the wilderness wandering, you remember God was hating their unbelief and their sin. God wanted to dwell and tabernacle with his people, but they wouldn't let him. So God, in a sense, was with them, but not fully. What do you mean? Remember, God dwelt within the tabernacle. You remember this Ark of the Covenant? It had the, the stones and Aaron's rod, and it had some manna in there, and it went into the tent of meeting, and that's where God's glory and his presence resided with the people. It's this beautiful picture of God and his people on earth. The picture of Adam before the fall, where the Lord walked with man in the cool of the day and all was good. This, that's the picture. How so? The feast of booths was to symbolize God dwelling with his people. Now, John chapter one. The word became, or I'm sorry, uh, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And then he makes an astounding point in verse 14. And the word became flesh. And the, he, the Greek word, and tabernacled with us. John is saying Jesus is that ark where man and God can dwell as one. But what did they do with the, the one in whom they can dwell with God? They killed him. Christ comes again. And now the feast of booths where God and man can fully tabernacle again, holy, purely, and in totality. That's why in Revelation 21, I'll read it one more time for you. In Revelation 21 and verse 2, or sorry, verse three, it says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain for the first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, right for the words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without costs. And he who overcomes will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. That's the picture of this feast of tabernacles that God himself the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ will be on this earth dwelling with his people. Really quickly, verse 17 and following. Now we see the Lord ruling with an iron rod. And then it will be that whichever of the families of the earth does not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. 
If the family of Egypt does not go up or enter, then there will be no rain that will fall on them. It will be the plague with which the Lord smites the nations who do not go up to celebrate the feast of booths. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations who do not go up to celebrate the feast of booths. Revelation 19, Psalm 2, Christ will rule in this time with a rod of iron. This idea of hippie Jesus and Birkenstocks and a tie-dye and he just wants peace and love, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. He will be the ruling king and anybody who does not bow down, they will pay the consequence. And what is the the disposition of this kingdom age? Verse 20 and 21, holiness. In that day, there will be inscribed on the bells of the horses, holy to the Lord. And the cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like the bowls before the altar. The idea is sanctified. And every cooking pot in Jerusalem and Judea will come, will be holy to the Lord of hosts. And all who sacrifice will come and take of them and boil in them. And there will no longer be a Canaanite, that's a non-believer, in the house of the Lord of hosts in that day. And folks, you and I live happily ever after. So I really hope you enjoyed this series of Jesus in the Old Testament. Next week, we're going to start 1 Corinthians, which is, bless you, which is a city or a church in Sin City. It's a great and relevant uh, study for us as a church in a very sinful world. And then after that, we are going to do the people of the Bible and what we can learn. So that's going to be a very long series. Just take random people throughout the Bible, learn of their story, learn of their life, learn of their context, and then learn of what they did really well, that we can apply that to our lives, or in some cases, the people that really stunk it up. And we can learn what not to do so that we can honor the Lord. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we can get into the word. God, we are just so grateful for your word. Um, I just pray, God, that it was presented in a way which we could understand. It was presented in a way which uh, makes sense, oh God. I do pray, Lord, that we would be expectant of your return. That every day we would live like today may be the last. And the reality is, is we're not promised tomorrow. Every one of us is going to take our last breath at some point, and today might be that day. God, you have called us to make disciples. You've called us to be ambassadors. You've called us to go out into the highways and byways. You've called us to be a light in a darkened world, salt in a world that's decaying. Father, help us. May we be your hands and your feet, and may we live every day in the expectation of the coming of the Lord. We do praise you. We do honor you. I pray for our obedience and our sanctification as a church and individually. In Jesus' name, amen. And that is the end of this week's podcast. We thank you for joining us for another inspiring message. 
If you enjoyed this teaching, please take a moment and share it with others. If you're interested and would like to find out more information about our location, time of worship service, or even what ministries we offer, we encourage you to visit our Facebook page at Journey Community Church Fontana, where you can find all that information and more. Again, on behalf of Journey Community Church in Fontana, we thank you for tuning in. Have a blessed week, and we'll see you here next time.